This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. We're actually re-recording this just to uh, give you a look behind the curtain. So we're going through the last couple of games that the Devils have played where they actually had a winning week for once, which was very, very exciting. It hasn't happened too frequently this season, but we get to recap a winning week. And I'm joined by John Fisher. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. So uh, they were pretty all right this week. It looks like some pretty satisfying results after a very unsatisfying one. So we'll go through those games. And just as an announcement off the top, we actually won't have an episode this upcoming weekend or early next week since, like everyone, hockey players, hockey bloggers, hockey podcasters, we all need vacations. So I'll be out of state and unable to record. And as so, we'll pack an extra long episode for when I've returned and give you guys the recaps of all the games that we may have missed in that time. And John will go through those later with everyone. But John, do you want to start us off with this effort against Montreal where, of course, of all people, Ilya Kovalchuk ends it in a shootout? Well, they mentioned on the MSG broadcast that uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is one of, if not the greatest shootout taker in Devils history and one of the better ones in NHL history. So... Um, yeah, he scored (laughs) and it was not fun to witness. It meant the devils lost the game. It also meant that the one player you didn't want to see score against the devils scored. And that was after a night where he largely was doing nothing but getting booed at it anytime he had the puck. So that was not feeling that did not feel good, Dan. Yeah. And they've had a little bit of a renaissance since he's come on as well. He's been doing pretty well there and it's Something that I know Devils fans are always going to be bitter about the exit, but as they say, you don't boo nobodies, and Kovalchuk was very impactful in his time in New Jersey. He speaks about it fondly, and obviously, you know, the ending was less than ideal for everyone involved, but he did give the crowd the silence, which felt very, very bad. It felt very unsatisfying to see that game end that way, especially after how that game had started, where the Devils really jumped out to a 3 nothing lead and then completely stopped playing. 
See, this is the part that bothered me about the game, Dan. Like, okay, Kovalchuk scores and he shushes people. Fine, whatever. That was that was an exclamation mark. I'm more unhappy about the sentence. I'm more happy what happened before the exclamation mark. Because mm. this very much was like a game under John Hines in October and November. And, you know, I wrote a really long post uh, earlier today on Monday, went up about between Hines and Azardine. And one of the things I highlighted was the fact that, you know, just be one of the things I highlighted was that the defense, the defensive effort, the team effort, Dan, not just the defenseman, defense is everybody's uh, responsibility, has been the worst in the NHL since Nazardine took over. And this was a comparison between Heinz's 26 games with the Devils this season, and this game against Montreal was Nazardine's 26th. So you, this one was the final game to include in the bucket, so to speak. And it just encapsulated a big reason why Nazardine, I don't believe, is a long-term answer at coach. And more importantly, that the Devils really haven't improved all that much. They are more offensive, yes, but they are so defensively deficient and we got to witness that in the four goals against that were all scored in a row uh, before Palmieri scored his uh, last-minute equalizer to salvage the game. It was very much one of the worst third periods the Devils have had under Nazardine. And if it wasn't for Montreal taking a too many men on the ice penalty while the Devils had an extra skater on the ice with the goalie pulled, maybe the Devils would have lost this one in regulation. And it had shades of October-November written all over oh, yeah. it. It was really the the typical hallmark of okay, this game's actually going pretty well. Things are pretty exciting. They look they look solid, and then all of a sudden they start sitting back. And Montreal four unanswered goals, like you said, and Palmieri again has to tie it up late. And I think he's actually done that several times this year. And if not for him, they're in an even worse spot than they're at now. But they go to a shootout and extend past regulation for what was the third straight time at that point? Fourth. Fourth straight time. Wow. So they are um, rolling along with these extra time games and generally not doing well on them, and it's stuck here as well, as Montreal, like we said, took it in the shootout. Right. But, I mean, the thing here is that the Devils caused their own issues. I mean, I know in the last episode, the last Monday episode we recorded that went up last Wednesday, you know, I ranted that, you know, if it's not Subban, then it's somebody else that makes a big mistake that costs them. And in this very game, you know, Palmieri causes the turnover during a power play that led to Joel Armia's shorthanded goal later in that same second period, Nate Thompson torches, will butcher and Domingue just doesn't make an attempt to stop him. So Thompson pulls off a move. I didn't know he could make to make it three, two. I'm expecting Nazardine to like rally the troops, so to speak, you know, throw the trash can around or at the very least get the guys to realize, Hey, we're better than this. You know, it was three, nothing. It's now three, two. Let's get out there and, you know, compete with these guys. We, we've done it in the first period. Let's go and compete. And instead they come out with their lamest performance. Carrick makes a big mistake that leads to the equalizer. And then on the very next shift, you know, Montreal pins him back another shift of getting pinned back. And Oh, look, it's now four, three you're losing. And it's like, what the, what in the world happened here? Mm -hmm. You know, did, did, did we have a coaching change behind the bench? Did Nazardine bust out Heinz's old notes and say, well, it's the third period. So get out there and not try. Like right. it was, it was, um, appalling. I mean, I'm more mad about that than I am about Kovalchuk scoring in the shootout, to be honest, just because with any coaching change, you expect the team to make some changes. And it, this was a case where it really felt like not much has changed since then. Mm -hmm. Frustrating, definitely. It was, uh, like you said, it was like watching one of the Heinz efforts from this season 
early on as the Devils just continued to blow lead after lead. And you'd think that after seeing a result like that, they would be demoralized going into Philadelphia, where they've had really, really tough results up to this point before this game came through. And they get in there, take 19 shots on goal. They got outshot 46 to 19 and won somehow five to nothing. Like the fans, the Philly fans can't even really blame their team for the effort since Blackwood stood on his head. And while the shots weren't the highest quality, they still put 46 of them on goal and limited the devils to just 19. This was a case of a team being completely sunk by bad goaltending. Well, yes, the flyers were definitely let down by Brian Elliott and, I mean, by the time Alex Lyon got into the game, the game was out of doubt. It was already 4 nothing when he came in, and he gave up one goal on two shots. I mean, it was just bad goaltending all the way around. The thing is that Philly, I don't think, played that good of a game. Like, they were losing pucks behind the, the, the blue line, so the, devil, you know, the Devils got a free zone exit thanks to the Flyers. Guys were just sort of not finishing the plays even when they would move the puck laterally. Blackwood had more than enough time to get over to make a save, or the Flyers would just straight up miss. The closest the Flyers came to scoring, the puck bounced behind Blackwood. It was laying at the left post. Voracek slams the puck as hard as he can. It goes off the post, slides slides by the goal line, and then Subban touches it out shortly before he gets whistled for a penalty that he deservedly took. I mean, the Devils, you know, you know, the Flyers had opportunities, but at no point did Blackwood have to play one of these games where it's like, oh, my goodness, look at all the highlight reel saves. It was just like, here's 46 shots, which is a lot and not good for any team to allow. But it was not like, you know, you know, batting down the hordes and, you know, start you know praising your local deities as far as whether, you know, that you got to see Blackwood play out of his mind tonight because he did it. He, he just played solid. Mm-hmm. And that was enough. It was just one of those classic games where you do a lot right, but not but it's not good enough, and you end up getting uh, messed up because you're you, you failed at the other end so badly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was so nice that the Devils were on the, the the winning side of this type of game as opposed to the losing side of this type of game. That's exactly it. That was the antithesis of the game that the Devils played against Columbus. I think either a month ago or a couple months ago, where they had fifty fifty three shots on goal, something like that. And Elvis completely shut them down. And this was a, it was just frustrating. And that same quality of, of game happened where the Devils did have a lot of shots. They had a large volume of shots, but none of them were really all that threatening and really not all that sustained. It was just kind of in random bunches throughout the game as it went on. So that was, you know, walking into the Flyers building and beating them 5 nothing in a game that they needed the points from. Oh, yeah. Oh, so satisfying because that bubble in the Metropolitan Division in the Eastern Conference is not friendly. No, not at all. And if you're a team like Philadelphia or Columbus or Carolina or Florida or Toronto or the Islanders, notice that I mentioned a whole bunch of teams. That's how wide the bubble is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They cannot afford to lose or drop points to the 14th or 15th place team in the conference. They just can't. Like, if you're really a playoff team, you need to beat up on the lesser teams. And the Devils went out there and absolutely stunned the Flyers. Coleman scores 13 seconds into the game because the Flyers didn't want to defend him. And then the first shot of the second period, that's a goal because Severson turned into Scott Niedemeyer for a shift. And it was wonderful. It Mm -hmm. also gave Blackwood his first NHL point. And then in the third period, Zaka leads a two-on-one shorthanded for the Devils' first shot of the period, which was a goal through Elliott's gaping five-hole. And then the second shot of the third period is Miles Wood going off on a clear breakaway because Shane Gossespierre lost the puck on a keep-in and beats him five-hole. And then 
seven minutes later, Lyon gets his first uh, taste of the puck, his first shot against, and it's Wood torching Philip Myers and Travis Anheim for another goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you couldn't ask for a more infe- you know, a more wonderful result, um, despite the lack of uh, volume and ice being tilted in that direction. And at the same time, anything that could have been any more infuriating to be a Flyers fan, because it's not enough that the Devils dropped a five spot on you, but they did it with just 19 shots, and they basically just kneecapped your goaltender save percentages even further in the process. Mm-hmm. It was it was a joy, Dan, to watch this game and hear the booing just increase as the game went on. Like. It was as if the Flyers got more and more irate as they realized, oh, my goodness, this is happening. And they just can't go to the rage room, Dan. They (laughs) couldn't go to the rage room. The Devils even showed off the rage room and showed some woman that, you know, wasn't raging particularly well. Even Erica Watcher's like, man, I would do a much better job than that. (laughs) Like, it's not good when the sideline reporter's dunking on some, you know, woman who's like, oh, I get to smash this cup with a hammer. And that makes that makes me feel better about the Flyers. Apparently so. I mean, that's that's the type of game it was. It was glorious, regardless of how the performance went. And, you know, I had a lot of fun watching it, despite how many how much of the game was played at the Devil's End. Yeah, I mean, it felt awesome. And Zaka just looks completely invigorated since Eliash has come back in his most recent stint to reunite with the 2000 alumni team. Clearly, you know. He's getting in his ear. There's all kinds of pictures from Eliash interacting with players at practice. I think he is a very beneficial presence for this team. Like the hug he and Blackwood had is a classic gif on Devil's Twitter now, and it will be for a while. It was just so wholesome and pure. And clearly, you know, these players enjoy being around him. So it's interesting to me to see that dynamic develop as it looks like he's kind of selectively assisting but maybe that's something that he'll consider full-time if he ever wants to move back. I know he does spend most of his time in his native Czech Republic. Yeah, he's got commitments there. Like, yeah. he can't just, like, blow it off and be like, yo, I just want to give hugs to Mackenzie Blackwood after no, shout No, no, but, like, not I immediately, mean, nice, but, but maybe in eventuality. Who knows? I mean, there's not a lot of better players in the Devils' history to teach them how to play offense. True, and also just to help out with the general principles of the game. But mm-hmm. speaking of that hug, Dan... yes. You know what caused that hug? Oh, what caused that hug was Mackenzie Blackwood's second instance of back-to-back shutouts in his career. As the LA Kings came to town, Blackwood stood strong as the Devils and Kings both slept through the first period. The Devils got all their scoring done in the second. Yes. And uh, just like that, Blackwood walks away with, what was it, something like 83 saves in two games? Yep. They had 37 by uh, Los Angeles and 46 against Philadelphia impressive showings for Blackwood and the thing with him is that he there seem to be weird patches where he's really 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 good like sometimes even for a whole month and then he'll have a couple of stinkers back to back and it's hard to tell if it's because of how bad the team is but there are some legitimate pucks that you know if he's having an off night they're stoppable so he needs to find that level of consistency and I'm not asking for shutouts every single game but at least a level where you know he can maintain one or two goals allowed rather than spiraling out. And this stretch that he's had recently where the devils actually have a point in each of their last six games, he's been particularly good. Well, except for that one game against uh, Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. Well, I mean, truth be told, Dan, every goaltender, even the very best goaltenders are going to have nights where they just get shelled. I mean, that's just a fact, fact of life. You have a bad night and in your position, if you're a goaltender, a bad night is, well, the light behind you is going to light up a lot. I mean, that's just 
that's just the nature of the business. So I'm perfectly fine with how Blackwood is playing overall. This is a big reason why when I look at stats, especially for players, it, you know, I like looking at larger samples than just like one game or two games. It's like 10 games, 20 games. That gives you a better indication of how they're doing overall. So yes, Blackwood had that bad game against Nashville, but even when you include that game against Nashville under Nazardine's first 26 games, Blackwood has posted a 93 save percentage in five on five play, mm. something Hines never got uh, earlier this season. And at the same time, it also indicts Nazardine because your gold, you got great goaltending and you won nine games. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, six and a half dozen of the other, but against LA, it was similar to the Philadelphia game where while the Kings had 37 shots on net, not a lot of them were high quality. I'd say they were a little bit better than Philadelphia in that regard. The Kings are this odd team. They're like Carolina from a couple years ago, whereas they were a very good five on five team from a rate standpoint and a expected goal standpoint. They just can't score goals. They can't stop goals and they're bad on special teams. Like just like the Carolina hurricanes of a couple seasons ago. And unfortunately, unlike the Carolina Hurricanes from a couple of seasons ago, L.A.'s roster is getting kind of old and they're really transitioning to whatever their future is going to be. That being said, the Kings played a structured game for like one period and then things fell apart in the second period. And then it was just basically and eh, we'll just go with it. Um, and fortunately for the Devils, they scored three on Cal Peterson. Uh, great pass by Severson set up Gusev for a fr- uh, one timer in the second period to open it up. Coleman converts a power play in the slot from a feed off Wayne Simmons. And then Andy Green takes a shot and it's deflected by Jack Hughes and then deflected again by Kyle Palmieri. That made it 3 nothing. And even at 2 nothing, you got the sense that this game was kind of over. And at 3 nothing, it definitely felt like it was going to be over. Kopitar had a big opportunity a couple minutes after Palmieri's go- uh, double deflection. Uh, he got fouled by Severson during a penalty kill. It, the Devils, I'm sorry, the refs gave him a penalty shot. Blackwood stopped it. Blackwood stopped everything else, you know, and you know, again, there was a couple of times where maybe the Kings would have gotten fortunate with a deflection or, or what have you. But the Devils, unlike the Philadelphia game, kept the Kings more than honest. They attacked in response. They put up 34 shots themselves. I would say the, the Devils were a lot closer to making it four nothing as opposed to making it three one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a much better effort overall. And Blackwood, again, you know, fully earned his shutout. It feels good to be a Devils fan over the last two games. Yeah, and it's one thing to shut out the Kings, who are one of the few teams that are in a position that's lower than the Devils in the standings. But it's another thing to shut out a team that has playoff aspirations and to do it in their building. So good little run here for Mackenzie Blackwood. And in our previous recording, we waxed poetic about Blake Coleman, how he's scoring in all situations. Basically, to summarize all of that, I don't believe that he should be traded. I think he represents a good conduit, but there is no denying that given his current contract situation and given the landscape of what the trade market looks like, you know, and who is available on the trade market and for what price, he could potentially fetch some serious value, but it would be very, very tough to see him leave just as he's found a scoring touch. And now, you know, with this power play goal against LA, he can do it in all situations. Yeah. And absolutely, you know, again, I'm glad that the devil's coaching staff finally realized that, you know, your power play isn't all that great anyway. So, I mean, what do you got to lose by putting your, your team's leading scorer on the power play and, you know, he'll get his opportunities and look, look, he, he can score. 
the team's leading goal scorer can score goals, Dan. It's yeah, amazing. Must be nice. <laughs> you know, he's got 21. Like, he set a career high last season with 22. It's game 54 for him. So, you know, I'm pretty confident he's going to break 22. He's got a real shot at breaking 30. Mm-hmm. The thing about Coleman is that, um, you know, as you said, his contract is incredibly favorable. And because the scoring is definitely what's going to draw a lot of interest. But even if the scoring dries up, he's still going to be an effective penalty killer. He'll be an effective depth forward for those uh, tougher matchups if you're – if you need some help defensively, he can uh, draw calls even. Um, he, he may take a couple more than you may like. But, you know, you, if you want a hard four checker for your penalty kill, you know, you can't ask for anything better from Blake Coleman. And on top of that, Dan, since Nazardine became head coach up until the Montreal game, Coleman has had more shots on net than everyone in the NHL except for Max Pacioretty. He has as many shots in this 26-game uh, time span that I did for this post as Alexander Ovechkin. And this is a guy who only recently has gotten a little power play time. Keep in mind, a little power play time. But Coleman has continued to find ways to average close to five shots a game. And that just speaks to how well he's playing and how he's functioning in this current system. But I can easily see how other teams may use him a little differently. But uh, he'll still find success because he's the type of hardworking player that you want uh, younger players to follow and at the same time get fans into. This is a long way of saying he's playing really well, and I hope the Devils don't trade him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. <laughs> well, so a lot of yeah, a lot of that line situation as we were um, discussing on past episodes. You know, Coleman, Zajac, Gusev—they've all kind of been floated around there. In fact, Zajac may or may not have been asked to waive his uh, no trade clause. But that that all being said, a lot of what happens with these guys specifically, and a lot of the financials involved with them, does depend on what happens in the next few weeks. As either, you know, I can't imagine they're going to pay Wayne Simmons five million again for this production that he's had here. But I, I'm sure they like having him around the locker room in general. So who yeah. knows what's to come with him in the off season or what his value is in the market now? But Vatanen is going to be a hot commodity defensemen just keep going down you know the hurricanes lost dougie hamilton the blue jackets lost seth jones um giordano got injured in calgary there's a lot of potential suitors for sammy vatanen as a rental so the hockey world's going to be watching him there since everyone knows the devils have to do something if they choose to retain vatanen and that you know they keep him through this deadline but manage to re-sign him so it's not a total loss if he doesn't walk away. I think that'll change a lot of the dynamics in terms of how much Coleman, Gusev, and really even Zajac can afford to get paid moving forward. Well, keep in mind that, you know, all these players have different differing situations in terms of what they're looking for and what they want to do. And the thing about unrestricted free agency, Dan, is that if a player wants to walk, they're going to walk. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can call him up and say, hey, I'm willing to give you an extension. Well, if you're not willing to take an extension, it doesn't matter how much you're offering. Right. Um, and also the other factor is that, um, you know, the big wild card here is that we don't know what the devil's direction is, really. I mean, yes, they have Tom Fitzgerald and Martin Brodeur and presumably a bunch of other people at hockey operations working together as a, as a collective right now. But, 
you know, ownership has already said since Ray Sherry was fired that they're intending to hire a firm to look for a general manager. And that general manager is going to be the one who is going to, one, convince the owners that their direction, their vision, their uh, plan is the one to follow. And two, it's not going to be decided before February 24th. So, I mean, the Devils are in this very awkward spot here where – you know, we already know from Elliot Freeman that the, the team is interested in hockey trades. What, what does that mean? Does that mean they're not just going to accept picks? Do they want actual NHL players for next season? Maybe they want a little bit of both. Maybe they're looking at what uh, Pittsburgh just did to get Jason Zucker. And I understand that's a bit of an apples and oranges comparison. But Zucker drew a, a, a hockey player in Alex Galchenyuk, who hasn't had the best season, but he's an NHL player. Kalen Addison, who's a very good prospect. And a conditional first round pick, which will likely be very low, but it's still a first round pick. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're getting offered something like that for a Palmieri or a Coleman or or even a Gusev, and I don't think that'll be for Vatanen, but if you're getting offered big deals like that, you at least have to take the call. And then you then you're in this awkward position of like, am I messing up the next GM by making this move or am I helping him out? Yeah, you and I don't know. even know like if they know they're outgoing, how much of that will be their concern anyway. But that mentality of you have to take the call is exactly where this team is. Like, you can't exactly say that there are indeed some untouchable members on this team, but it it boils down to get as much value as you can possibly squeeze out of the remaining contracts that exist on this roster and load up around essentially these young boys that make up the the center depth of the Devils. You're supposed to build around those two names in Heischer and Hughes, and I guess to do that, they need more assets and to time that rise better. But, you know, that that's all something that we'll find out a lot more of as we get closer to the 24th, as you alluded to, and that's two weeks away at time of recording. So we're going to learn a lot about what they think the direction of this team is and the messages that we got from Josh Harris in terms of, you know, we want to turn around and be competitive as quickly as possible. Well, realistically, is that something that's even possible or do they have to go through another stage of selling off assets in order to get the depth that they need to be a consistent contender? Like in terms of prospect pool rankings, the Devils never finished that high. And Binghamton, while they had a little nice stretch recently, pretty much coinciding with Anderson's call-up, they've been a little bit cold over the last few games. So the depth in the system, is that something you feel comfortable saying, yes, we can fashion a contender out of the pieces here? And if not, you've got to get more pieces. Exactly. And also, uh, Tom Fitzgerald is the other, you know, presumably he is the one that's, I guess, in charge. He's the interim GM. Well, he was responsible for putting that Binghamton roster together from a management perspective. You know, as assistant GM, the minor league team was his responsibility in addition to other responsibilities. And so, you know, if you don't think the Binghamton roster has been all that hot, I mean, it's been better than where where they were at the beginning of the season. But again, do you foresee a lot of these players being NHL players in the future? Or And if the answer is no, as you said, you got to get get more assets. The, the other tricky thing, the other wrench in the uh engine so to speak here dan is that sammy vatten the aforementioned potential hot asset is currently not playing right now mm-hmm. he is uh suffering from a knee injury according to amanda stein on twitter today he did skate with the team in a morning skate before the la game but that's a morning skate that was just you know get him on the ice see how he does and apparently he still has a lot of pain in his knee so the so the devils basically have in two weeks to figure out and hope 
that Vatnin's knee starts feeling better so they can get him into a couple games and show off the fact that, look, he's still able to play. This is what he can do for you. I think most most teams in the league knows what Vatnin could do, but they got to see for themselves, like, is he 100%? And uh, if so, you know, is, is he going to be super rusty or is he going to be helping you out right away? Because that may change the dynamics of what a team offers for him or even if, if some teams do offer him something. Uh, fortunately for the Devils, they have a lot of games coming up. So there'll be plenty of opportunities to hope that Vatnin, uh, his knee gets better soon. And then this way they can demonstrate it in one of these seven games coming up. Yeah. And who is going to be most enticed? Is it going to be a team looking to fill a need out of desperation? Like those teams I mentioned that had defensemen go down, or is it going to be a team that's looking for championship caliber depth where if you have a Sammy Votnin as like a, you know, second or third pairing guy, that's pretty good. That's a good spot to be at. Yeah. I mean, the tricky thing here is that Vatnin's not a super cheap player. Like his cap hit is roughly is, million. Mm. Granted, at this point of the season, you know, a team's not going to be on the hook for paying all that salary. However, cap space is still cap space. And most of the league does not have $4.85 million of cap space. Um, So whatever deal they're going to work out, I mean, roughly half the league doesn't even have a million dollars in cap space. So they're going to have to, you know, be a little creative and the Devils may have to take some salary back just to make the numbers work. That being said, if you, if a team like say, Columbus or a team like, say, Carolina or, you know, those teams do have cap space where they can make these moves a little more easily. Um, but if it's, if, it's, if it's a team like, say, St. Louis looking for an extra defenseman or Dallas looking for an extra defenseman or Toronto looking for an extra defenseman, you know, they're going to have to be giving up quite a bit in return. They just can't send a pick and say, OK, we're done here because they literally don't have the space to afford them. So, that's, you know, there's going to be a lot of moving parts here. And that's, I think, a big reason why big trades don't happen so frequently in the NHL, because you got to think there's a lot to figure out. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is certainly a possibility. And Vatnin will definitely be a talked about name because he is a right handed defenseman. He's under the age of 30 and will be out of contract soon. So he will be a very popular man, provided that he can skate on the ice sometime in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. It's just it depends where he ends up going to like is this going to be purely a rental or is a team that is more serious about signing him going to take on that contract and going to take on more of the responsibility of right trying to re-sign him because I, I don't really know it's it's tough to make that call because everyone's stats are a little bit warped being on a bad devil's team for several uh, years yeah and a badly coached team right now because the devils under Nazardine have been arguably the worst defense as a team in hockey <laughs> yeah Okay, so that all being said, we're going to have a lot more clarity on this situation coming up. And like you said, hopefully Votnin gets back into some games. So what are some upcoming games where we could see him um, participate for the Devils again? And it doesn't seem like he's all that close to returning, maybe not as close as Heischer, but could we maybe see him at some point before the 24th? And which opponent do you think he should target a comeback for? Well, the Devils have seven games coming up in their next 13 days. They have three games and four nights this week, and then they have four games across uh, Saturday through Sunday. So there'll be lots of opportunities. If I were to guess, let's say if his knee is like a week out, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'd be a little surprised if the Devils then take him to St. Louis for their road game on that on Tuesday night. But I could see maybe the 20th against San Jose as a real possibility. Uh, San Jose is not exactly a world beating opponent. It'll be an opportunity to show him off. uh, And there will still be a couple of days for teams to, you know, mull it over, 
check out the tape, see if see if it's worth taking. The the real last chance would have to be the twenty second against Washington on, at one p.m. But Washington's like really good, and that could make any defenseman look bad. So, mm-hmm. um, I hope my hope my pref my guess would probably be the twentieth if I were to guess. But that's that's really dependent on how far along that end is or isn't. The fact that he took a morning skate is positive, but then he said his knee was still hurting, so that's not really that positive. So right. it remains to be seen what will happen. In the near future, I think we'll see Heischer back before we'll see Vatnin back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see how the Devils do in those games again. This is the point of the season where we're just looking for progress, but two back-to-back uh, shutouts is a pretty good start in what you want to see. And seeing, you know, uh, there's a lot of word about Hughes flying up and down the ice in the games against L.A. Not so much in the game against Philly, but definitely in L.A., He's kind of getting his feet out from under him. It's that same issue of the production will come, but it's going to need some time. Well, it's like anything else. It's it's a process, and it's also impacted by other things as well. Like, for example, in the L.A. game, yes, Paul Murray had his double deflection goal, but he I didn't think he played all that hot of a game. Mm. So, I mean, like, he's your shooter on that line. So, like, if he's not having a good night holding onto the puck – you know, Hughes can make all the great passes he, he wants. It's not it's not his fault that it's not getting finished. And, um, you know, that's just the nature of the sport. Like if you if your line is one guy having a real tough time out there, you know, everybody's impacted by that. But so it goes. But you're but it's the next seven games, I think, will be instructive in terms of, you know, the general mindset of what they're, the Devils are going to be going through ahead of the trade deadline. If I could just quickly run through what those seven games are. Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of put a bow on things here. So tomorrow after this recording, they're going to be hosting a Florida team that has something to play for. They they lost in Philadelphia Monday night, so they're probably going to be hungry for this one because Florida, if they don't start winning some games soon, um, they're going to be way too outside looking in mm-hmm. in this wild card race. So that could be a spicy one. And it'll also be after this post goes up on Thursday, they will be hosting Detroit, which is a team the devil should just beat on general principle. Yes, I know they beat De- they beat Boston, but. That's Boston, okay? Do you want a fun stat that I just saw about Detroit as well? Hit me with a fun stat about Detroit because they have nothing fun about their stats this season. Here's a fun one. Detroit is 14-39-4 this season, but they're 5-0 against Montreal and Boston. Well, it's that original (laughs) six magic. magic. Gordie Howe must be telling them, guys, this is how you do it. Yeah. It's worked for me 50 years ago. Yeah. Go. If you coach them up it. on any aspect of playing the game, maybe they'd be a little better than they are now, too. Any other aspect of playing the game instead of just beating Montreal and Boston. But anyway, I digress. That's not our problem at all. <laughs> no, but the Devils should try to beat win that game on general principle. Tanking be whatever. Yeah. Now, on the 14th, Valentine's Day, you should get together with that special someone in your life or whoever you're seeing at the time and uh, snuggle up somewhere, perhaps on a couch, perhaps on a bed, a futon. Um, an ottoman if you're I don't know you know I guess that would be silly don't sit you can't share a ottoman unless it's like massive anyway <laughs> the most romantic thing you can do that night Dan is to watch the New Jersey Devils visit the Carolina Hurricanes another team that has something to play for because nothing says romance like a regular season game in February where the Devils have nothing to play for oh, lots but, of red lots of red hey red can be romantic and uh, speaking of red the Devils will be wearing red 
and their traditional home uniforms on Sunday the 16th when they host the Columbus Blue Jackets at 6 p.m. I don't know why this is starting at 6 and not 7, but whatever. The Devils are likely going to lose this game anyway because the Devils cannot beat Columbus. They've literally lost their last nine games against them, and since Columbus has something to play for, I don't think the 10th game is going to be the charm. Mm. Strong now, feeling at, there. <laughs> yeah. After that, on the 18th, um, since we're not recording next Monday, um, the Devils will take on the defending Stanley Cup champions and current Stanley Cup contenders in St. Louis. And St. Louis will probably do very well because they've been beating lots of other teams because right. they're very good. I don't know what else you want me to say about that one other than that's likely going to happen. And then the Devils will return on Thursday with – Vatnin, or maybe without Vatnin, who knows, but they're going to play Peter DeBoer's old team in the San Jose Sharks. San Jose is bad this season, and it's it's a rough one because everything that could have gone wrong for them did go wrong for them, and oh, by the way, they don't have their first-round pick this year. They didn't lottery protect it, and oh, I'm sure management is kicking themselves for that. So the Devils can continue to pour misery on the Sharks on Thursday, the 20th, and then shortly after we return, I might as well finish the seven-game stretch with the Devils hosting Washington for a 1 p.m. matinee game. Um, Washington is losing their grip on first place and might need that game to hold on to it. So, yeah, the Devils against a motivated Capitals team. <laughs> I'm not confident about that one either, but stranger things have happened in New Jersey against the Capitals. Right. Not this season, but sometime well, in the past. Stranger things have happened against the Capitals in Washington this season for New Jersey. This is true. They beat them once. <laughs> they, that's all right. They beat they beat the pants off them somehow. It was remarkable. And then Shero got fired the next day. Go figure. Yeah. Anyway, so those are the next seven games. Uh, those are the last seven games before the trade deadline. So, again, you got some games where the Devils should probably win. Some games against some teams that, well, the Devils kind of, well, they need to beat the Devils if they want to keep their playoff aspirations uh, in check. And then they're playing two really, really, really good teams in St. Louis and Washington. So you got the gamut of quality of opponents. Most of them are in Newark. So if you want to go to a game, go check it out and uh, pay attention to who's on the roster because who knows if they're going to be around after uh, 3 p.m. on Monday, the 24th. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we'll be eagerly watching that and awaiting any sort of news, obviously refreshing our feeds as the deadline day approaches. But we'll uh, navigate you through all that and we'll have much more deadline talk upon our return. So uh, just as a reminder, we're not recording next week, but we'll be back uh, Saturday the 22nd with a new episode after this one that comes out on Wednesday. But again, thank you for listening. We appreciate the time here. And keep on watching the Devils. Let's all hope for the best and have a great rest of your day or night. Whenever you choose to listen to this, let's go Devils. Go Devils.